my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, you may have heard about the T-Mobile hack. I'm going to give you some very important info to protect your cell phone from hackers, no matter which carrier you use. Also, all right, I can't believe some stats I just read about how many investors buy and sell stocks, cryptos, and other things while they're under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Crazy, right? Well, this isn't crazy at all. It's to be expected. Hackers have successfully invaded T-Mobile's database and have deep dive information on over 40 million T-Mobile customers. The exact number is still being determined. There are rumors on a lot of tech blogs that AT&T was also hit and that 58 million people's data was exposed at AT&T. AT&T says that if anything happened, it did not happen in their system, meaning it may have been a third party that works with AT&T, but we'll wait for more information on whether this is an AT&T and T-Mobile problem or just T-Mobile. I know you roll your eyes when you hear about yet another data breach, and you're like, what am I supposed to do about this one? Because it seems like we've kind of given up, that our information is out there everywhere, and that it's just a matter of whack-a-mole. How are we ever going to contain this? And I get that. It's true. I read something about how uh, somebody who was really angry at T-Mobile said, you know, T-Mobile was sloppy here, and they exposed people's data, and who knows how much was T-Mobile not doing its job or not. But the other thing the person said was, you know, in a week, no one's ever going to remember this even happened. And that seems to be accurate because people are overwhelmed by the constant barrage of this got hacked, that got hacked, the other. I just got another letter from a hospital telling me that my personal information was hacked. And that happens in medical all the time. So with the T-Mobile, and we'll wait for information on AT&T, there are three things that T-Mobile customers should do. And there's one thing that customers should do of AT&T and Verizon. Because even if there's not been a breach yet, there's something you need to protect yourself with. All right, so the best guess what the hackers are most interested in is SIM stealing or SIM hijacking or SIM swap fraud. All these terms are used interchangeably. So let's say you have a 401k account or you have a Roth IRA, or you have a brokerage account, bank account, whatever account. Most of them are set up these days with two-factor authentication. The way the two-factor works is you get a text when you try to access your account with a one-time use code. Criminals having the information they have from the T-Mobile breach, really the keys to the kingdom to being able to hijack your two-factor authentication. 
criminals are able to build enough information on you from various data breaches to typically know where your brokerage account is, retirement account, bank account, blah, blah, blah. And so if they're able to steal your cell phone service, they then are able to take over your bank or brokerage account, reset the password, because remember, to verify identity, they send you when you say, I forgot my username, I forgot my password, whatever. What do they do? They send you a text to verify it's you. Well, if a crook has stolen your cell phone service, then they're off to the races because the systems at your bank or brokerage or whoever has your retirement account, they all think, oh, this must be the real person because they two-factored on us. They verified us. So the cell phone carriers have a procedure where you can stop the cell phone swapping, the SIM swapping, where somebody steals your service, not completely in its tracks, but pretty close. For anybody T-Mobile, T-Mobile has something called account takeover protection. If you sign into your T-Mobile account because of the active data breach, I want you to change your password, make it completely different than your current one, And I want you to change your PIN code to something completely different than what you've had. And then I want you to do something called account takeover protection. When you're in your T-Mobile account, there's one of those little, it's not a question mark. It's the thing where you put in, what do you call that, like a magnifying glass thingy? The search. The search thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. What is that symbol? It's a search symbol. It's a magnifying glass. It is a magnifying glass. Mm -hmm. So you just put in that, the phrase, account takeover protection. And Chris is trying it right now. And let's see if it works. There it is. Came right up. And you click on it, and then you will be able to protect your account. It walks you through the whole steps that if somebody wants to switch your service, they go through steps to make sure it really is you. And it's not an ironclad perfect protection, but it's the best we got. Anytime, I don't care who your cell phone service is with, anytime you go to use your cell phone and it is dead, know that you almost certainly have had your SIM hijacked. And a criminal is now impersonating you, and what they're after is your money. So you need to obviously contact your cell phone carrier, and you also need to get all over your accounts, bank, brokerage, whatever. You need to call them and tell them that you're worried somebody's trying to steal your money and for them to freeze your accounts. What the criminals do once they two-factor into your retirement account, brokerage account, bank account, what they do is they sell off your positions in your 401k, your IRA, whatever, and they wire the money out and your money is gone. Now, under federal law, your money from a bank account is protected in a situation like this, bank or credit union. 
there is no equivalent federal law yet to protect your brokerage account, mutual fund account, or retirement account. And that is a shame. Now, with at and gosh, that's kind of lame what I just said. It's more than a shame. The protection should be in place. And the Congress, I know it's hard for Congress to get anything done. This one, I think, would be completely nonpartisan, bipartisan to protect people's accounts that they've worked hard to save and build money for their future. Now, AT&T and Verizon customers, you also can set in place a procedure like I talked about where you're able to protect your account from the SIM hijacking. T-Mobile calls it account takeover protection. Each company has its own procedure. Krista is a T-Mobile customer. How long did it take you to change your password and your pen? Just like a couple minutes. And what about the account takeover protection? So that took, I had to just check. We have several lines on our account, and so it doesn't automatically add it to each line if you add it to yours. So I had to go through each one. So maybe like a couple minutes, just not a big deal. So now you can rest easy and know that your account is safe. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> So you've got a T-Mobile question for me right away. Yeah, Truly in Florida wrote in and said, T-Mobile sent me a text letting me know that hackers had compromised my information. They have offered me two years of identity theft protection. Having been a victim of identity theft already this year, my credit is frozen with all of the reporting agencies, and I have a seven-year fraud alerts on them as well. I also have fraud alerts set up for banking and utility companies. I'm weary of giving yet another company my personal information for the fraud protection, because how do I know they won't be hacked as well? Should I take the fraud protection or leave it? Well, you know, my thing with these data breaches has always been that this fraud protection that is offered is really just a big fat joke. That you've done the important thing by putting credit freezes in place with the three major credit bureaus. So you've done the right thing. Um, It's just standard issue corporate 101 that every time they got caught with their pants down with a data breach, that they their lawyers have said, oh, yeah, offer people this, uh, this uh, identity protection for a year or two. You know, truly, if you have a Credit Karma account, you've got that already for free going forward anyway. And you got just a, a situation here where you got clobbered earlier this year with an identity theft, Now you got the T-Mobile data breach on top of it. You've already done the most important things other than the steps I just talked about and Krista did where you need to change the password, the PIN, and do the takeover protection and do those three things because that will protect the accounts you already have. Remember, a credit freeze protects you from somebody applying for new creditors if they're you. But doing the three steps I talked about with T-Mobile, those are key to protect the money you already have in accounts that already exist. This is from Mike in California. I've heard you mention you've downsized to a condo. My wife and I are considering doing the same. You have not talked much about this. What have some of the pros and cons been, and are you glad you made the move? So, Mike, 
Now we're going to talk about some family, uh, family, I'm not going to call it drama, but so I love living in a condo. We're on the 19th floor. The views are spectacular. Uh, We see sunrise and sunset, the way our unit is positioned. The views are extraordinary. And what I love is it's like staying in a giant hotel room. You lock the door, you leave, you're done. Uh, You know, we pay a a monthly condo fee, and they're responsible for all the maintenance and repairs outside the unit, and they meaning us, but we don't have to deal with it. And I love that. I lived in a high-rise earlier in my life for five years, and I love that lifestyle. My wife and my son have never lived in a high-rise And they're both having trouble adjusting to living in a high-rise instead of a single-family home. So uh, the deal we have is we're giving it a one-year try. And if Lane and Grant are still like, yeah, this seemed like a good idea, we'll go back to a house. My hope is that they will learn to love it like I do. It's not for everybody. And so you got to know yourself as to whether or not it is a good decision for you and your life. What are some cons of living in a condo versus a house? Bring your groceries up, that I kind think, of thing? And I think my wife misses having a yard and misses some of the privacy. You know, we have, we're in a small condo, so we have uh, 55 neighbors. There's only five units per floor is the most on any floor. And so... It's that you walk around and you are kind of like more like in a hotel where you come up an elevator and there are potentially other people around. And I love that. But if somebody really likes having their own homestead, the privacy and all that, then it is an adjustment. So, Mike, we will see. And I hope Lane's not mad at me for discussing this on the podcast. Okay, coming up straight ahead, if she hadn't killed me yet, I want to know if you've heard of what's called TUI or TWI. It's trading while intoxicated or trading under the influence. It's so unbelievably common and so dangerous for your wallet. My philosophies about investing are so out of tune with where a lot of people are today with doing rapid fire trading, using uh, apps like Robinhood or free trading with discount brokers to buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, and frequently move in and out of stocks. And you look at things like Bitcoin. Krista, I don't know if you heard, Bitcoin set a new record high just recently after having gone way down in value just a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. and so we're in an era where message boards and momentum are leading people into individual activities individual stocks bitcoin is not a normal investment at best you could call it a speculative investment i call it speculation and so people are trading like crazy. And for a lot of people, 
it's sport. It's, it's almost like they lose track of the fact that it's real money they're involved with. We talked earlier this year about the phenomenon of the meme stocks, how AMC and GameStop were both saved by this uh, anti-establishment kind of momentum that built value for both of them for a while. And, you know, the funny thing, particularly with GameStop, is it's giving their new board a chance to try to bring that company forward into the modern era. And so, in a weird sort of way, the meme activity saved the company in the short term and may actually have given it breathing room to come up with an effective long-term strategy that will make it successful in the future. But it's not traditional investing. And there's nothing wrong with coming up with new playbooks. But I will tell you there's something really wrong with this. There's a story in Market Watch that finds that one in 11 baby boomers admit that they have done buying and selling of investments, trading, while they're under the influence of alcohol. With younger traders in their 20s, 60% approximately, 6 out of 10, have done trading while they're under the influence. I mean, that is crazy to buy or sell investments while you're drunk or stoned. Now, this survey was done by Magnify Money. It finds that overall, one in three U.S. investors say that they have done a trade while they're drunk. I mean, really? That's crazy. So, and, and okay, we got to get on the table. I am the dullest person you'll ever meet. You know, you may have a situation where you're having trouble sleeping at night or whatever. Just listen to me for a while. You will overcome Stop. your difficulty sleeping. Well, come on. It's your own daughter oh, who's now on her joke. way to college. <laughs> Don't when make she me was cry. Too, <laughs> Fell asleep with one of my books laying on top of her. That was a joke. She was a baby, and I put it on top of her while she was sleeping. Uh, yeah, but see how much she learned that now she's going to one of the elite colleges in the United States. <laughs> That's right. She absorbed that she while did. she was sleeping. She's heard enough of it over the years from me, So, and repeating what you say. So she's in a good position. So I am Dullsville when it comes to investing. All I'm interested in is creating financial security. For me, there's no sport to it. It is a simple philosophy built on diversifying your money and diversifying two ways. One, in holding very wide investments, index funds, where you own little pieces of thousands of companies, and don't try to time the market. It's time in the market that's key. That's the second thing is slow and steady, slow and steady. That's how I run. Yesterday, I did a seven-mile run and walk. And I did more walking than running. But I did the seven miles 
got my heart rate really up there, and felt great. Now, I could have gone out there, and I could have tried to run as fast as I could, and I would have been done before a mile, and I would have felt terrible. But investing is about life's marathon, not a sprint. And that's why, for me, it's about building your portfolio in a simple, easy, low-cost, tax-friendly way. And that's why you never hear me change my tune. I am one-note Clark on this, (laughs) that the idea, and I can't sing either, but the idea is that you put money aside, pay period by pay period, or month by month, or quarter by quarter, with a plan in place. That's why I'm such a fan in Roth IRAs and 401ks that money go into a target retirement fund where the money automatically adjusts over the years to meet your target date of when you plan to retire. If you were a member of the FIRE movement or an honorary member, let's say your FI, financial independence, and you want to build up financial security way before when the government looks favorably on you spending retirement funds, you can, through index funds, have very favorable tax treatment and be able to live your life as you wish at the age you wish. And it means that you are perfectly average if you do my kind of thing. You get ultra-favorable tax treatment, And you ride with the overall market up and down. So why would I be so happy with being average? Because most people with a lot of trading and a lot of individual holdings actually way underperform the average of the market over time. Yeah, you may have a big winner right now, but next month you may have a loser. And in addition, if you're trading in an investment account, You got tax issues. So that's where my head is at. And my goodness, buying and selling under the influence sounds a lot like uh, potentially, oh, I, I shouldn't even get into that. This article talks about how this is potentially an addiction issue. Who knows? But it is, it is a phenomenon today. And I want you to be aware of what you're trying to accomplish. And I don't have any problem with you as long as you're doing the basics of putting money aside for your future. If you want to have a mad money account that you just go crazy with, do it. But your real money should not be put into rapid trading. People quitting their jobs now, like in the 1990s, to do rapid trading, and we know how that did not end well in the 90s, And that's not going to play well this time either. Okay, we'll get to some questions. Cheryl in South Carolina says, I own a short-term rental condo at the beach. It is in a complex that is almost exclusively short-term rentals. I need to refinance the mortgage, but I cannot find a lender that will finance this property. Three lenders have told me that it doesn't qualify because of the high percentage of units not owner-occupied. Any suggestions? I have a great credit score over 800 
The amount I want to refinance is less than 50% of the market value. Current rate is 6.5%. 6.5% at a time when, Krista, you just refinanced at 1.875%? Yep. Yeah. I'm in process. Oh, in it process. It takes a long okay. time. So 6.5% is bad, ugly. So what's happened is the path to conventional financing for condo developments is only available if there's a tiny percent of rentals in a condo development. So you got one that's a beach condo that overwhelmingly are short-term rentals. That building has lost the ability for unit owners to qualify for any kind of normal financing. So you talk to three different lenders. They're all lenders that are only following federal guidelines. So what do you do instead? There are two possible paths for you, Cheryl. One is to find a local credit union in South Carolina that because of the equity you have and your credit score is willing to do a loan that's less than half of the value of the unit. I mean, you've got enormous equity. Credit union doesn't have to follow those standards. They decide based on who you are, not at every credit union, but most credit unions keep loans what's known as in-portfolio. They're making a decision based on their membership. Second path is to go to a mortgage broker. Mortgage broker can place mortgages a bunch of different ways and not necessarily with a conventional lender. You're not going to get, for two reasons, you're not going to get the lowest rates in the market. One, it's an investment property, and two, it's in a building that doesn't qualify for conventional lending. But because of the massive amount of equity you have, you should still be able to get a rate somewhere in the upper twos. Okay, and this is from Jamie in California. I'm wondering if I'm putting myself at risk in any way by linking my checking accounts at multiple credit unions. I sometimes transfer funds between my credit union checking accounts. I have three at three different credit unions. If I do not specifically add the other credit union accounts and verify them, each credit union sends a paper check to transfer funds, which is slow and potentially risky. If I add the account and verify it, then they do the electric transfer of funds. I'm wondering if this in any way puts me at risk if someone hacks into one of my accounts, as in they could possibly gain access to the others more readily. It seems like a double-edged sword. I do have a separate account that I use for Zelle, as Clark recommends, but now I'm questioning if that account is separate enough since I've added and verified it as an external account through my credit union. So the most important thing in this case is making sure at each of the accounts that you use very different usernames and passwords. You already are taking really solid precautions. And linking an account is not necessarily a problem by itself. However, if you have same or similar usernames and passwords at the different financial institutions, that's where your greatest risk exists. So I'm not necessarily freaked out at all about you having the account set up for electronic transfer of funds. You may, though, be able to add an additional step of protection with each financial institution on electronic transfer, where there's an additional process involved in verifying that transfer. 
And I want to tell you that I love that you listen to this podcast, and I hope you love listening to it. To find more information on our team, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, or sign up for one of our many free newsletters, free, I love that, at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. Clark Deals.com.